Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius, and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Do you ever ponder why the act of constructing a simple, imperfect project in your workshop is so satisfying? Perhaps you're just starting out and you're wondering if this hand tool thing is worth it. Or maybe you've mastered the construction techniques and are starting to find your own design style. Well, there's a book that I believe will take you through the full lifespan of a woodworker, from fledgling joinery to competence, to mastery, and finally to contribution and legacy. Today's book is from Peter Korn, and it's called Why We Make Things and Why It Matters. The author is probably best known to contemporary woodworkers because of the Center for Furniture Craftsmanship, a non-profit organization that promotes the craft. He's also written a number of books, and one little gem that I picked up was called The Little Book of Wooden Boxes. It sits alongside Matt Kenny's book on my shelf, but it's a book that gives a very different view on box making. Another that I own is Woodworking Basics, Mastering the Essentials of Craftsmanship. But I think it's safe to say that today's book is probably his most widely known and influential publication. The question the book asks is essentially the title of the book. Why do we make and what is the importance of making? When I first listened to this book about 18 months ago, it was a book that I contemplated reviewing early in the first series. But ultimately, trying to give a spread of books, it was narrowly pipped to the post by Gary Rogowski's Handmaid. In preparation for this book, I went through it a third time. I've read it in print once, and I've listened to it twice. It's amazing how much has changed since I first listened. For starters, there's mentions of Persick, Senad, and Crawford early in the book, and Ruskin later in the book. The context of these authors is now completely different for me. They're contextualized by the fact that I've now actually read the books this time around. And it felt to me like Peter was referring to a crew of my old friends as I recognized the names. I could also evaluate the quotes and concepts in a little bit more depth, rather than just as to what Peter referred to. Fortunately, my skills have also developed, and I'm sure, like you, the long-term listeners, you're now more reflective of the middle of your journey, possibly, rather than the absolute beginning. And that gives you a different context for the thoughts posed on design, whereas when I first listened to the book, I was far more comfortable with discussions on basic joinery. But let's not get too drawn into the furniture specifics. I think that first and foremost, Peter sets out a deeply moving personal autobiography, and it's hard-hitting in terms of his experiences. But in a way, it also feels representative of many challenges that I find echoed in autobiographies of other people in craft. There's a central question. What is a good life? It's a serious question, and I don't think it's a coincidence that people who end up asking it have different life trajectories from people who don't. I grew up in a middle-class home. I went to decent schools. Look, I didn't get the He-Man action figures I wanted for my 10th birthday, but I did get a big box of Lego at Christmas. I never had to walk to school, but I took the bus to my first job, and I did receive a car on my 18th birthday. Admittedly, It was a second-hand car that failed to start the first time we fired it up, much to my father's embarrassment. 
and when I grew up, any career was fine. As long as I got a bachelor's degree in commerce and became a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. My dad was a marketing director at his company, and success was easy to define in middle-class white South Africa. You got the membership at the golf club, and you had a three-series BMW in the garage, a house in the suburbs. If you'd really arrived, that was a five-series. I remember my father driving quite a long drive to come and visit me when I was in university and confiscate the hand glider I bought at 19. He threatened to stop paying for my studies if I ever tried to kill myself in such a stupid way again. When I look back at a father who drove the right car, lived in the right suburb, and went to the right places for holidays, I wonder if he ever asked himself the question, what is a good life? I have no doubt he asked himself what is success, and how do I keep up with the Joneses, but I'm not sure if he ever asked what a good life truly was. And yet it's a question that has plagued philosophers since before the time of Plato, and remains relevant today. So Peter Korn's book is one that I would class as a dual autobiography and philosophy book. If you're interested in the story of a successful craftsman and how he got where he is today, the book's a good read. Without oversimplifying it, I feel that you get all the expected elements of the plot. There's a chance encounter with carpentry, some good role models, a move to furniture making, and a relentless drive to learn the skill in isolation. There's some decent breaks in terms of success and public acclaim, some hard questions after the technical skills were mastered, and questions like, why were his friends better off than he was? There's moves from making to designing, residency at prestigious schools, and then progress in business and admin. So basically all the elements you'd expect to find there. You'll enjoy following his journey in the craft. And yet I think that this book must have been deeply personal and difficult to write. The admissions about failed relationships that give a very intimate view of the author. And the bits of the book that deal with his struggle through cancer and the guilt he felt as a survivor. One who was ultimately unable to help another person he cared deeply about through cancer. Was heart-wrenching. Putting myself in his shoes... I'm not sure I could have written this type of book about my life. And over and over again, above this element of the book, is a nuanced examination of what this life meant to Peter. One of the things that I found quite profound was his sense of connectedness with his generation and the times in which he found himself alive. It's a link that I'd never previously considered. I guess, like many people, I think of myself as unique and I think that my personal insights and questions are somehow special to me. In the book, Peter explores the connection between his search for meaning and the wider world in interesting ways. There's an anecdote about how being a foreigner, when you have to confront the veneer of civilization, and how fragile this is. One of the passages that I really enjoyed is from page 95. As the location of truth migrated inward, the creative individual took on mythic stature. This was the zeitgeist that gave birth to the contemporary practice of craft. From the start, the hallmark of studio craft has been the motivation of its practitioners to seek identity, fulfillment and meaning from within through creative, self-expressive work. When I chose to become a furniture maker, 
I was acting on an unexamined worldview that was very much the product of my historical moment. The Industrial Revolution was a fait accompli and had destroyed the economic foundation for practicing what we now call craft as a trade. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, virtually every object had been produced by hand. Subsequent to it, making things by hand had become a potentially subversive act, something one did in opposition to prevailing societal norms. At the same time that craft was being displaced in the economic order, there was a major shift in how people viewed themselves as individuals. For all of our recorded history, beliefs about the nature of humanity and the purpose of life had been in flux. But every major belief system had agreed that a person became fully human only through participation in a larger entity. Whether the entity was a tribe, a polity, a divine cosmology or a social class. By the mid-20th century, however, where people had once looked to external sources for validation, truth was now to be found within. With this change, external scaffoldings began to fall away and the task of constructing one's own identity became the life project of the individual. The demands of self-definition strongly shaped the nature and practice of craft, in essence, converting it to a form of spiritual practice. Such was the world to which I and other makers of my generation were born. For all the bravado with which we had embarked on our voyages of discovery, the poles to which our compasses were orientated had already been determined by the sweep of history. I think this observation is a pretty powerful observation, and I think the ability to step back and observe oneself in this way is even more powerful. It certainly made me take a few steps back and ask myself just how much of what I ponder is unique to me and how much of it is a product of my upbringing and the world in which I live. And this, funnily enough, by no means is a negative. It doesn't make me feel irrelevant or a cog in a machine. Perhaps, like a guild member in preceding centuries, I find comfort in working alone while being part of a greater community. Reading Peter's book along with Crawford, Rogowski, Newport, etc. made me recognize my membership, whether I acknowledge it or not as an individual who's operating within the membership of amateur, philosopher, reader, craftsman. I'm not sure exactly what, but you get the idea. Also, reflecting on the original meaning of the word virtuoso from the book The Craftsman by Richard Sennett, a word originally used to describe an enthusiastic amateur with high skill. I'm happy with this association. By the end of the book, You'll have followed Peter through the journey of amateur to founder of a woodworking school, a prestigious school. In my books, it's a story of progression to the highest form of recognition, the recognition of an ability to help others to become who they can be through your teaching. Yet I think that the most important takeaway for me from the book was how as human beings, we are continually reinventing ourselves. I'd always thought of identity as static, now I think of it as something that changes. When we make things, we also remake ourselves. Remake ourselves as we would be, and, importantly, as we would like the world to see us. Earlier I mentioned Rogowski as narrowly having beaten this book earlier in the series. 
The most important message to me from Gary's book was that you're not working on wood, you're working on yourself. Peter's book almost has a direct echo of this. You're not just creating things at the bench, because the act of creation helps you recreate your own identity and ultimately defines who you are. I guess in the search for a good life, finding a way to recreate yourself as you would be is possibly the most important thing there is. So in conclusion, why we make things and why it matters is 170 pages long. It's written by Peter Korn and is at February 2021. It costs $14 for a Kindle edition and $20 for a paperback. In the book, there's some color plates that will add to the context about the book. They're plates that are discussed, for instance, in the text, in the context of a desk or a piece that Peter has designed. However, in spite of the lack of these pictures, I'd suggest that this is a very good book for listening to. I found the audible version was well worth the money, so if you're planning a long trip to a class on woodworking, an audible version of this book might just be an excellent companion for a road trip. I'm giving the book a 7 out of 10 in the category Philosophy and a 7 out of 10 in the category Autobiography. If you like these kind of books, it's one that I would heartily recommend. And I'd also note that the author has a really phenomenal selected reading list. From the caliber of the books that I've read that are included in that list, I look forward to buying some of the ones that I haven't. So that's it for now, Woodworms. And remember, go make something that shows who you really are. And keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favorite book you'd like to suggest, or one that you're considering buying, that you'd like me to feature in a future episode, send me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. As always, I'd like to thank all my Patreons, and particularly to Jesse, who signed up as a new Patreon this week. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Your contributions support the purchase of books for my library and support the making of future episodes. <music>